Isn't that amazing? Like, isn't that the best services of the year? People's lives transform, new beginnings, new hope. God, everything that we do kind of makes sense again, don't you think? God is in the business of kind of transforming lives, new beginning, setting people free. Like that is what we're doing this all for, isn't it? I reckon we should God give God a great big shout. Awesome, God. Awesome. 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 Victory, God. Victory. Praise God. Thanks, guys. Hey, we've been doing a, a, a great series the last few weeks called Fulfilled about the fact that God, God, uh, God just doesn't want to save people and kind of and leave them in a no man's land, but He actually wants to take them on to a place of being fulfilled. And there's a whole kind of sense of how God wants to do that. But, but I just want to come at a different angle for a minute because do you know what? There are a whole lot of voices in our world that promise you how to live a fulfilled life, right? How to live a happy life, how to be successful. And I love the fact that Jesus kind of walks right into the midst of all those voices and he's happy to stake a claim in the marketplace and put his hand up and say, do you know what? If you want to live a fulfilled life, I can tell you how. I can tell you how to live a fulfilled life. And he's pretty radical. You know, he, he kind of comes, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He kind of stands in the marketplace of ideas and he says, there are a whole lot of voices telling you that they can offer you success, they can offer you happiness. I want to tell you that behind a lot of those voices, the only thing that's going to happen is tears. There's a kingdom behind those voices that sounds wonderful. It's just going to steal stuff off you. It's going to kill stuff in your life, and it's going to destroy you. It's not very PC, is it? He stands up and he says, but I want to tell you that I've come to give you life, and I've come to fulfill you. You follow me. You do it my way. I promise you are going to live a fulfilled life. You can reject that, you can mock it, but you've you got to respond to it because he just says, I've come to do this. <laughs> Get my voice back. I love the fact um, there's a whole tradition in uh, Scripture of kind of the voice of wisdom out in the marketplace, you know, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out at the city gate. It's like the voice of wisdom goes out into the marketplace and says, listen, I can tell you how to get what you want. I can promise you the thing that you're looking for. I know how to get, how for you to get there. And Jesus takes a place in the marketplace of a world that promises all kinds of things for success and happiness and fulfillment. And he says, I can give it to you. Do it my way. I hold the secret for what you're looking for. And so tonight, when we talk about fulfillment, I, 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 I guess I want to challenge you. You know, sometimes things in life, there's lots of grays, there's lots of continuum of ideas, but sometimes things are pretty either or, pretty black and white, and the way that Jesus framed it was pretty black and white. There are a whole lot of voices promising stuff. They're not going to deliver on it. I'm promising you something. I can deliver on it. And so you and I face a choice. Which voice are we going to listen to? Who are we going to follow? Because Jesus promises you, I can give you life, and I can give you a fulfilled life. 
and he invites you to try him out. He invites you to put him to the, he invites you to engage in this and see if it works. And I can promise you it does work. But the, the whole thing, not, kind of not surprising, Jesus got some pretty upside down ideas about how this thing's going to work. He's got some pretty kind of, un, uh, kind of paradoxical ways of thinking. He's got some unexpected turns in this thing. And one of them is around the very idea of fulfillment. And, and if you know, he says, look, whoever wants to become great, this is how you do it. You just become a servant. It's like, that's not what I was expecting. Like, here's your 10 steps to success and happiness. Just serve everybody. And going a bit further, and whoever wants to be first, just be the slave of everyone. And he's not telling something that he doesn't live out because he says, just as the son of man, that's how he refers to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He says, do you know what? The key to your success, the key to your happiness, the key to your fulfillment is what I do in my life. It's just serve. Oh, wow. You want to follow? I was like, is there there a better offer out there? Jesus says, there's a lot of other offers. They're not going to deliver. I've come to give you life. I've come to give you fulfillment. And one of the keys to fulfillment is this paradoxical idea that I become everything I want in life when I learn to serve something bigger than myself and serve something outside of me. This is not a random thought for Jesus on the night before he dies. And John says, Jesus knew the Father had put all things under his power, that he'd come from God and was returning. Like he knows he's the man. So what does he do? Got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet and drying with the towel. It's like, I know how significant I am and how do I choose to live that out? I serve. And when he's finished, he says this, he put on his clothes and he came back and he said to them, do you understand what I've done? Do you, remember wisdom, he said, I'm giving you the key to happiness. I'm giving you the key to success. I'm giving you the key to fulfillment. You know, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. He's saying, I'm not just telling you some good ideas. I'm living this out because I want you to succeed in life, and this is a key to your success. And notice how he finishes at verse 17. Now that you know these things, you're going to be blessed if you do them. He's saying, I've actually given you the key to a blessed life. It's not what you thought. I thought you were going to tell me how to get more money. I thought you were going to tell me how to be successful in relationships. I thought you were going to tell me how to live a wonderful life. He's like, I've given you the key to fulfillment. It's about serving something bigger than yourself. You know, again, it gets picked up by Paul and Philippians. In your relationships with another, one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Yeah, he's in the very nature of God. He didn't consider that something to be holded or used for his own advantage. Made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant. Yeah, by nature I'm God, but I take the nature of a servant. Here's the paradox. You live a fulfilled life by serving. And not only that, he goes further, and he being found that he humbled himself, become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus says, you want to know the path to fulfillment? Just die to yourself and serve people and serve my purpose. And you're going to find fulfillment. Listen, there's a deal. Here's an offer on the table. There's a whole lot of voices that say, here's how to be happy. Here's how to make more money. Here's how to be successful. Here's Jesus like, 
I've got the key. I promise you, if you follow me, you're going to live the most fulfilled life ever. Now just lay down your life for me and other people. That's the offer on the table. That's the invitation. You know, and because of that, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name. It's like God is like, those are the people I can use. Why? Because it's not about them anymore. Because their heart is to serve a bigger picture and to serve people so I can trust putting them to places of influence because it's not about them. This is the secret to unlocking success. This is the secret to unlocking fulfillment. This is the secret to unlocking happiness according to Jesus. He dares to stand in the public market and go, people are promising you a whole lot of stuff. It's not true. This is the path to fulfillment. This is the path to happiness. This is the path to success. You know, I love the heartbeats of our church. We talk about honor and excel and advance through serving in the middle, reach out together. The middle one, how do you go forward? How do you go up? You go forward by going down. You go up by going down. You go ahead by serving. It's not something peripheral. And I love the fact that we talk about this as equipping people for life. This is not a strategy for how to do church. This is kingdom wisdom about how to do life. You want to know the secret to fulfillment? Advance in life through serving something bigger than yourself and serving other people, and you're going to find happiness, success, and fulfillment. That's what Jesus says. Here's, I just want to show you something. If, if that is true, if that is not just private devotional truth, if that is actually public truth in the marketplace, you might expect that people who studied how to have a successful life might start finding this, Right? Because it's actually true. And I want to give you three examples where people have found out that what Jesus is saying actually works. This is not some marketing gimmick. This is not a little religious trick. This is public truth about how life works. And so the first one is this. This guy, Martin Seligman, he, he, he's a professor of psychology. He's, he's not some flaky new age guy. He's the, he was the president of the American Psychological Association. He wrote, wrote this book back in 2004. Looks a bit kind of new agey, whatever, positive thing. But it's actually like, how do we do scientific research about how people find happiness? Okay? So it's like our whole thing. It's like I'm sick of, he was like, I'm sick of psychology just getting people out of darkness and brokenness back to Square one, I want to know how do people move forward to fulfillment. And this is what he found. He says there are three levels of happiness. The first one he calls the pleasant life, the second the good life, and the, and the deepest one the meaningful life. Why am I, I, you think, why is he doing this? I want to show you that what Jesus said is what people are discovering. So you have a choice. Will you engage with truth? that Jesus said, or will you keep listening to other voices that offer other things? So he says this, the pleasant life, what, that's about having as many pleasures as possible and learning the skills to amplify them. So maybe if you like playing squash, it'd be good to learn how to play it better. Or if you like cooking, it might be good to learn how to. But there are some drawbacks to it. Number one, heritable. What that means is some people are just born kind of Eeyores. You know, doesn't matter how much, they're just going to kind of be mildly not, they're just... You know, when a free trip to Hawaii for the week, they'll complain about the sand in their togs or something and the rash. It's like, some people are just like that. So if you're born like that, I don't know, anyway. 
The second thing is it habituates. What that means is the first time you go out to a restaurant, it's wonderful. And then the second time, it's okay. And then if you're a traveling salesman, you get sick of going out to restaurants, right? First time you stay in a hotel, it's great. The second time, it's okay. Then you just get sick of it if that's your job. The problem with pursuing pleasure is it just wears out. But here's this thing. Even at that level, he says, actually what they found is the main part of pleasure didn't come from the latest new car, the latest iPhone, a trip to Hawaii. It came from friendships and relationships. Even at that level, it's like the world is promising you something that's a lie. It's not true that all of that stuff is going to satisfy. Even at that level, quality relationships and friendships will satisfy. But in his argument, this is just psychology research, that's the most superficial level of happiness. The second level, he says, the good life, it's about what engages you, what, what catches you up where time stops, because you're so caught up in it, and, and whether that's in the arena of work, play, or love, but the issue is flow. Time stops, you get caught up. The recipe, know your greatest or highest strengths, and recraft your life to use them as much as you can, and the goal is you get absorbed. Hopefully there's some little like, that sounds a lot like the Bible, like be a steward of the gifts in your life. So yeah, pleasure is fine, but it's not going to give you fulfillment. It's not going to give you happiness. It's not going to give you success. What will give you success is you know how you're wired and you use that in a way that brings this great sense of fulfillment. Stop chasing pleasure and happiness. It's empty. That's what Jesus said. Find out how you're wired and use it for a greater purpose, which that I went ahead of myself, because the third one is the meaningful life, which he says this, know your higher strengths and use them to belong and in the service of something larger than you are. This is not Christian. This is just psychologists studying people who felt happy and successful and fulfilled. Pleasant life, good life, meaningful life. Jesus came and said, I've got the secret. Give your life to something bigger than yourself. Use the gifts in your life to serve that purpose. Do it in the context of some relationships, and I promise you, you're going to be happy, successful, and fulfilled. And the psychologist would go, he's right. You know, I love this. Um, this is some blurb for his book. In his book, Authentic Happiness, Martin Seligman boils down the science of happiness into a very simple equation. Ready? This is it. Discover your strengths and use them often, and you'll be pretty darn happy. Want a truly meaningful life? Discover your strengths, use them often, and give them to something bigger than yourself. Oh my goodness, Jesus was right all the time. And, and he goes on. Interesting, as a function of the diff three different lives, how much do they contribute to life satisfaction? Pleasure, almost nothing. Engagement, some meaning strongest. Pleasure is the whipped cream and the cherry on life. Jesus is like, you want fulfillment? Give your life to a cause greater than yourself. Serve God and serve people. And use your gifts then to do that. And throw in some great relationships and have some fun on the way and I promise you, you're going to live the happiest, most successful, fulfilled life that you could imagine. He wrote a second book a few years ago, Flourish, where he developed this model that basically have some positive emotions, engage in something that grabs you, have some good relationships, find some meaning that all of that is doing something beyond yourself and achievement. You do that, you're going to be happy.
It's like, oh my goodness, Jesus was preaching the truth. Just do that and you're going to be happy. Here's another one. Uh, Pastor Sam two weeks ago talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you've done Psych 101, nursing, education, whatever, you have studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He was actually the founder of this positive psychology group. And you know, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, you start at the bottom, basic needs, and then you have your psychological needs. But then up the top, you get to this point like, I've got all that. Something's missing. I'm looking for self-fulfillment. That's all those people who walked out on their marriages because it's like, I'm just not, I'm just not, I've got to go and find myself. You know, and left, and it's like, it's like carnage from people looking for self-fulfillment. And, and, and what uh, Pastor Sam mentioned is actually there's a higher value. This is a quote to something. What is less well known is that Maslow amended his model near the end of his life, and therefore the conventional portrayal of his hierarchy is inaccurate, as it omits a description of this later thought, which is self-transcendence. In his later thinking, he argued that, I've cut a word out, that we can experience the highest level of development, what he called self-transcendence, by focusing on some higher goal outside ourselves. Examples include altruism, that's serving uh, something bigger, spiritual awakening or liberation. So that's the new modified one. Look at the top three. That were aesthetic needs. That's pleasure. Above that, yeah, my gifts and abilities, but they're not the end in themselves. They're just a tool to serve the ultimate thing, which my life is caught up in something bigger than myself. Jesus says, get ready to sell out to a cause that's bigger than yourself. And I promise you, you're going to be happy. And I promise you, you're going to be fulfilled because that's how I created you to find happiness. Says this, notice that placing self-transcendence above self-actualization results in a radically different model. While self-actualization refers to fulfilling your own potential, self-transcendence puts your own needs aside to serve something greater than yourself. Oh my God, Jesus was right. You're looking for fulfillment? Give your life to something bigger than yourself and to other people and use your gifts to serve that and steward that. Throw in some good relationships, have some fun on the way, and I promise you, you're going to be happy. You know, the third one is from Leadership Studies, famous book, Good to Great by Jim Collins. He studied seven characteristics of companies that went from good to great. The very first one he looked at was what he called Level 5 Leadership. The, the, the most significant leaders of businesses, this is what he discovered. They have this curious mixture of humility and will, this blend of personal humility and intense professional will. Second one, someone who blends genuine personal humility with intense professional will. It's like the surprising result is that they have this incredible gift of leadership, but it's blended with this incredible personal humility that it's not about me. I'm here to serve the organization. I'm here to serve my customers. I'm here to serve the mission. I'm incredibly humble mixed with this intense or fierce professional will to advance the mission. Jesus taught this 2,000 years ago called servant leadership. If you want to be great, be the servant of all. So when Jesus stands up in the public space, I want to tell you he's got credibility. He's not inviting you into some religious cult or sect. He's offering you the secret to success in life. He says, do it my way, and I promise you, you'll find life and you'll find fullness. Life to the full. Uh, 
And Jesus, in a sense, Jesus didn't just make this up. Jesus was developing a thought that had been in Scripture the whole way. This morning I talked about this guy, Joseph. I'm not going to do the whole thing. just want to pull out a couple of things from him. Joseph is a fascinating character in Scripture. I said this morning, he's part of the first five books of the Bible, which is the story of Israel coming out of slavery, heading towards the promised land. But Moses writes this prequel called Genesis, all the foundations. You know, he's got to write about the creation of the world, sin, the flood, Abraham, all the stuff. And yet he gives a quarter of the book to the life of Joseph. You know, why is Joseph so important? Because he's the paradigm, because he's the model of what success looks like. He's the, he's the picture of what fulfillment looks like. Specifically, he's the fulfillment of this little phrase that we throw, that he's the picture of what it looks like, that you're blessed to be a blessing, that God touches your life and raises you up. But it's not about you. It's about positioning you to be a blessing to a whole lot of other people and about the purposes of God. And so he spends 13 chapters to get it into the nation of Israel. This is what success is going to look like. This is what fulfillment is going to look like. Actually, it's a, Joseph is a, a, a picture of the initial fulfillment of the covenant with Abraham. It goes right back to Genesis 12. When God started the work of redemption, he grabs hold of Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And so religious people ever since then have gone, God's going to bless me. I'm special. He's chosen me. He must like me. He doesn't like all those awful sinners out there, but he likes us nice religious people. I'm just going to be blessed. Jesus has gone, it was never about that. He blessed you in order that you would be the channel of his blessing to the whole world. It was always about someone else. It was always about God's purpose and getting God's blessing to everyone else. And he just blesses you. He chooses you. He gives the privilege of you being chosen to be the agent of his blessing. And so that's why in Genesis, uh, Joseph's father prophesies over all the sons. And when he prophesies about Joseph, he talks to him, he's a fruitful vine and talks about the difficult things Joseph went through. But then he describes his life. Because of your Father God who helps you because of the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of the skies above, blessings of the deep springs below, blessings of the breast of Your Father's blessings are greater than the blessings. Joseph was a blessed man. But God spent his life teaching him, Joseph, it's not about you being blessed. I bless you to position you to be a channel of my blessing to a whole lot of other people. And it's always been the challenge of religious people not to cut off at the top line, I'm blessed, I'm chosen by God. Yeah, you're chosen to be his vehicle of blessing to serve a whole lot of other people. The key to your fulfillment is to find your place of being a channel of blessing. You've arrived when you find your place of being a channel of blessing, not being blessed. The world sells you an idea. You want to be successful, look for blessing. God says, no, I'll bless you so that you can find fulfillment in being a blessing and being part of my purposes. You know, you know we're just going to do the start and the end. You know, when Joseph is a young man, Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons. He gave them this richly ornamented robe. Joseph knew that there was, there was something special about him. He knew that he was loved. And he knew that he had a dream. He dreams twice of people bowing down in front of him. All since that time... The Jews in the Old Testament, the disciples in the Gospels, the church, throughout church history have got stuck at 
uh, first base. I'm loved. I'm called. I have a destiny. We're going to rule and reign. It's like, no, you don't understand because you don't understand the heart of Jesus yet. Because that's not the point of it. You know, when he, when he, he finally gets to the place where he's, where I'm not going to go through it, all the terrible stuff that happens, but he gets to the place, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. He ended up, that's the empire of that day. He ends up running the world empire of his, uh, of his day. And, and uh, you know, he's dressed, he's blessed. He put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. But here's the point. A famine starts across the whole world. But Joseph has the wisdom. He's stored all this grain. Verse 57, and the whole world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph. Oh, my God, blessed to be a blessing. Through you, every nation on the world will be. Joseph is a picture of God raising up his people to be the blessing of God to the whole world. Oh, my goodness, that's what it's always been about. After the earthquakes in Christchurch, the biggest church uh, that Pastor Sam's friends with the pastor there, Dave McGregor, they, out in the east of Christchurch, they were feeding 10,000 people a day for three weeks. Joseph fed the known world for five years. That's why they allocate a quarter of the book of Genesis to him, because he's the picture of being called and blessed and raised up to a point where you could bless a whole lot of people. Listen, we're not called to take over our world. We're not called to take our cities for Jesus. We're called to bless them and love them and serve them. You know, and Joseph got this. When his brothers who had betrayed him, uh, when he finally met up with them again, uh, he's like, do not be distressed. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. This was always about you. When I was young, I thought it was about me, people bowing. It was never about that. It was about God wanted to bless you. I got the privilege of serving the people, the very people who betrayed me. I'm the ruler of Egypt, but I'm only here to serve you. You know, and he, and he goes on. I talked about this. I think these are two of the most amazing verses in the Bible. God, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. I'm going to save your lives by great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me, but God. It starts and it finishes with God. Come on. You want to find success in life? It starts and finishes with God. It starts and finishes with surrendering your life to a bigger purpose that you can't even understand. You know, I talked about there's an interesting distinction in anthropology between religion and magic. Ma religion is surrendering your life to a greater power. Magic is losing, using techniques to manipulate that power for your ends. A lot of us treat God as magic. I want to use you to get what I want. No, no, the ultimate act in faith is I surrender my life to your purpose, God. And in the middle between God, it's all about them, ahead of you to preserve for you and to save your lives. Joseph got it. It's not about me. I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm blessed to serve. I said this morning, his position was leadership, but his purpose was servanthood. Leadership was just a stage on which to serve. Leadership was just a platform on which to serve. Come on, you looking for fulfillment in life? Find a bigger purpose in God and find a group of people you're called to serve. 
You know, and then he throws in at the end, he made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. See, here's the thing, there's, a, there's an order to it. That's why at Bible college we spend the first semester talking about get a heart of service. In the second semester we do all these tests on personality and stuff. Because then it becomes, okay, I'm going to serve God and people, how's he wired me to serve? If you get it around the other way, it becomes all about me. See, it's all about God and others. Now, Joseph understands I'm wired to rule and manage. That's how I serve, God and people. You know, he, um, he unpacks this. You know, his brothers are upset. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. He reassured them and spoke to them, spoke kindly to them. Something has broken in his heart. Something has died in his heart. It is nothing about me now. I'm the ruler of Egypt, but I'm only there to serve you, the very people who betrayed me. You know, I love this whole thing, uh, that uh, this whole gifting then is a development. I haven't got time to go through it. You know, Potiphar put him in charge of his household. Uh, and then when he got in trouble, he went to prison. And uh, there, uh, verse 22, so the warden put Joseph in charge. And then when the Pharaoh says, I hereby put you in charge. Joseph just exercised his gift for the purpose of God and for the service of others. Remember what the guy Seligman said? Discover your sweet spot and use it for a higher good. It's been there since Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 37 to 50, Joseph. The Gospels with Jesus. Paul and Philippians. It's always been there. I want to finish. Maybe I can get the musicians up. Uh, just to... Another guy I haven't talked about, but David, just a little comments made in Acts about David. Just says this, when, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Joseph, uh, David was a great king. He was a great warrior. He uh, recovered Jerusalem. He wrote a whole lot of Psalms that become the center book in our Bible. But it, summary, David served God in his generation. David gave his life to a cause bigger than himself. He knew what he was gifted to do. And one day his life came to an end. And the verdict on his life, you served me in your generation. I said, Jesus, Jesus stands in the public space of ideas. And he competes with a whole lot of claims on your life. He says, people are promising you a whole lot of stuff. It, it's not going to work. I promise you life and life to the fullness. And the difference about Jesus is one day your life is going to come to an end and you're going to stand before him because he's not just a wise teacher. He's the Lord of history. And one day you and I are going to stand before him and give an account of our lives. And if you take those three levels, there's, you know, the pleasant life. There's a saying, a Jewish saying in the Talmud that says, one, we're going to have to give an account for every good thing that God brought across our path that we didn't stop and enjoy. We're called to live lives of thankfulness and gratitude. But that's only the surface level. The next level up is that, that good life. You know, we're called to steward our gifts and abilities. There's another Jewish saying about a rabbi, Zushka, who was about to die and his disciples came to him and they said, Rabbi, can you tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like? And he said, I, I do not know what the kingdom of heaven is like. But this one thing I know, when I get to heaven, I will not be asked, why were you not Moses, nor why were you not David? 
I'll be asked, why were you not Zushka? I'm just responsible to steward the person God made me to be. But above and beyond all of that, I love this. I'm going to stand before Jesus, you and I, and we're going to look into his eyes. And in the heart beats a heart of a servant king. And there's either going to be this resonance of a kindred spirit. Man, our whole lives were about serving God, weren't they, Jesus? Yeah, we, we took our gifts and abilities and we stewarded them as best as we could to use them to serve God and to serve others. And he's like, yeah, I know it was tough at times, eh? And you, but, we, but you did it. I'm so proud of you. Well done. Or he's going to say, we don't, we're not on the same page, are we? we just, we're on different pages on this thing. Because Jesus is like, life is about serving a greater cause and using my gifts and abilities to follow you. Can I invite you to stand? You and I face a decision. Jesus, Jesus did a radical claim. He said, there's a whole lot of voices promising stuff. It's not going to work, guys. But I promise you this, on my life. Do it my way, and I'll give you life, and I'll give you fulfillment. And here's the key. Surrender your life to my purpose, and then steward my gifts and abilities I've put in your heart, and follow me. This guy's going to lead us in a song. I want you to reflect on where you stand before Jesus for a minute. Because there's an invitation. There's an offer of a fulfilled life. But I want you to stand one day before him and look him in the eye and share a servant heart with him. And he says, welcome, friend. We did this. Come on, let's sing. I encourage you to think about the invitation.